Uh, hi, welcome to uh, How They Get You. Uh, I am here with uh, Jacob Berry on site at Endgame in Oakland. Hello. Hi, guys. Um, and we are going to talk about a game that we played, I guess it's been two weeks ago now. Um, we were at, uh, uh, Jacob was the ringer at a tournament, and I showed up late and couldn't be in the tournament, so we played a game, uh, and uh, Jacob beat me. And that means that we get another podcast. Hooray! Um, so, uh, let's see. Let's go through it. So, I was playing uh, Leviticus, and Jacob was playing Lilith. Um, so, uh, let's see. What were the parameters of the game? So, we were playing the gaining grounds scenario intervention, or interference, which interference. is the, the table quarters uh, strategy. We had breakthrough, assassinate, cursed object, distract, and, as always, line in the sand. Uh, we ended at 5-4 because we couldn't make it past turn 3, which is, I think, lucky for me. Well, I, I think that's kind of what you should expect in a tournament. And can you... Uh, it's going to be a little tough to me, for me to remember. Can you break down those points, what the 5 and the 4 was? I, well, go yeah, ahead. So you scored 3 points on Assassinate when you killed Lilith turn 2 or turn 3. Uh, and you scored one point on the strategy where you had more table quarters than I did. Uh, and I scored three on Breakthrough and two on Cursed Object. That's right. Uh, superb. Um, so uh, what crew did you pick and how did they work together? So I brought Lilith and the totem that isn't actually hers but should be hers because it has the same ability as her, which is Primordial Magic. I brought... Two Terratots and two Slurids going for the scheme running capacity and also trying to take up space. As well as Mr. Graves and Doppelganger, who are a really great tag team. And Barbaros, who just sits in the middle and soaks up fire and takes up as much of an opponent's uh, attention as possible. Um, Lilith and Primordial Magic work super well together because they both let you draw one extra card at the beginning of the turn. Uh, like a Soul Stone, except only one card. And, and so for free. Two, and for free. So the two of them together basically gives you a Soul Stone a turn of extra drawing. Um, and after, I think it's after, uh, someone showed me the math, where it's after two turns, uh, the Primordial Magic has paid for itself. Uh-huh. Because it's only a two-point totem. Um, Graves and Doppelganger work super well together because Graves has his Show You the Door ability, which lets you get uh, six inches extra movement for someone within two of him, and then he pushes into base contact with them. And the Doppelganger can copy that ability, so it's basically getting you a two-for-one movement action uh, every turn. And what's really cool with Doppelganger is she can also copy the Terracot's one ability to sprint. And she can do it for free if you get the Tome. So you can end up getting 10 inches of free movement a turn with the Doppelganger. Wow, nice. And then, so it seemed like uh, some of what you were doing, uh, Graves was uh, speeding things up uh, and Lilith was doing some of that. Uh, the Tots and the Salurids seemed to be, you were kind of sending them out for scheme running and you got easily got... Uh, uh, breakthrough on that, and that was kind of your like seeding things out for the interference as well. And then it seemed like Barbaros was kind of getting in the getting in the opponent's face, uh, and the doppelganger was kind of uh, sticking to uh, the perimeter, not really engaging much, but earning interference points and being there as needed for other stuff. Yeah, that's right. So I basically split up my force and took uh, Mr. Graves and two Terratots in one direction, and I took Barbaros, uh, one of the Slurids, and Doppelganger in the other direction, with Lilith holding down the center, uh, and one of the Slurids sort of trying to figure out where he was going. 
we played on a really funky board. If you ever get a chance to go to Game Castle, in the back they have this awesome board that's meant for the Batman board game, and it's got two tiers, and it had this giant castle on one side, which really was a huge advantage for me because I had two slurs who can leap and ignore terrain. Right. And that bogged you down a lot. Your Corophy and your Mechanical Rider couldn't really get through the ruins. And yeah. that was actually also probably a big part of what ended up getting me the yeah. game was that my that... Slurred was able to go around the walls. And you either couldn't see him or couldn't charge him because he was behind there, just dropping his steam markers and getting me breakthrough. Definitely. that uh, It was a beautiful board. Uh, this is Game Castle Fremont. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful board, but it had lots of terrain and it had a big pit in the middle. Uh, that was so it was kind of a donut shaped board, right? And we played that pit as impassable terrain that you could see through, and you could only move through it if you had things that ignored that you could go from one end to the other. But it was probably I'd say a six inch diameter pit, yeah. And so I, I actually used leap to uh, to hop a slurred from one end to the other, and then realized that was a bad idea and hopped him back before you killed him. Before I could get because I had Lazarus and a Corophy and a Mechanical Rider over there, yeah. And I think you did uh, that getting. A lot of models that uh, uh, can not be affected by the terrain gave you a big advantage just because you were um, uh, kind of had more, I wouldn't say board control, but things were fast for you and slow for me because of the walls and the, the big pit in the middle, and you used those really nicely. I think the crew that you had is well-placed to do so. It had pushes, it had uh, the leaps and so forth, so that worked really well. Um, Although that was actually, uh, later on I have a question uh, uh, that I think we just answered. How did terrain affect the game? And I, I think it was uh, the crew that you had owned the terrain, and the terrain was in my way and not yours. Right, I think the terrain in a lot of ways won me the game because it allowed me to have spaces that you couldn't access. And right. that made it so that my, all my scheme-based things, which is all I took, so I didn't take anything that depended on fighting, Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to use the terrain to deny you the ability to stop me from running around and dropping my scheme markers. Uh, so, um, can let's talk about your schemes. Uh, what schemes did you pick and why? So I picked Breakthrough and Curse Object. Breakthrough is almost an auto-take for me whenever I see it, because I can play with Slurred with Neverborn. They're so fast, they can drop two markers a turn if they didn't drop one, or two if they didn't drop two the previous turn with the leap ability, so they can drop a scheme, leap seven inches, drop another scheme, which is basically getting breakthrough in one turn, mm -hmm. if I've announced it, which I had. Which so, I think is exactly what you did. Yeah, um, and we even talked about it afterwards, that if the game had gone on to four or five turns, you probably would have been able to stop, either kill the slurred or pick up one or two of those scheme markers, but because we ended at turn three, all I had to do was dash to the opposite side of the board and drop those scheme markers, and it was basically a free three points. Uh -huh. The other one I took was Curse Object. I really like Curse Object because it forces your opponent to play with, or to think harder about their activation order. Because if you activate something before I activate something nearby, all I have to do is walk up and give you the curse object, and that's a point every time you right. don't think about that. Right. Which is really tough, because it forces your opponent to think more about something else. And the more you distract somebody with what they're doing, or with what you're doing, the more you can actually control the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, excellent. So, can you tell me, at the start of the game, what was your plan to win? What was your, 
Uh, when you looked at the board at the beginning, how did you plan to win? Yeah, so my first goal was to not die so that I could keep table quarters, uh, which didn't turn out to be a very good plan because you you managed to kill lots of things, so I wasn't able to keep table quarters and get many points, or any points on interference. Right. Um, use the slurries and the, ta- the terror toss. I always almost call them terror toss. <laughs> uh, I, I try to use them for breakthrough, try to get one of them to the other side of the board so that I could drop those ski markers and not... Uh, and not have all of them die all at once. So sort of spread them out and hope that you can't intercept all of them. And then as long as I paid attention to your activation order, I would be able to get a point every turn from Cursed Object also. Right, and right. Lilith really excels at that one, because if she goes last, all she has to do is lasso something in and then give it Cursed Object. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which she's picked up three points from me before on a whiskey golem that couldn't kill her. Nice. Um, and uh, so can you talk about how you ended up winning the points? Yeah, so I ended up winning because you didn't get a chance in late game to get to your second scheme, which was Breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't get far enough in the game for you to actually get into the interference points. You only you got one out of the two available at, by the end of turn three. Right. Um, and I was able to get my slurred across the board quickly. And uh, just and just drop and those just Breakthrough. Drop those yeah. breakthrough and, and Cursed Object, I think, is really great for getting quick points. It lets you um, sort of move reactively. You don't have to have anyone planning to do Cursed Object, because anyone can do it. You can throw a beater in turn one and have your opponent engage that beater, and then because they were afraid and they tried to kill it, but they couldn't kill it in a turn, you drop Cursed Object with Bad Juju, for example, and mm-hmm. he'll do he'll be able to give you points on that, even though normally people think of beaters as their primary role being killing things. But right. they can actually get Cursed Object just as easily as a Terratot or a Solarid or Lilith. And I think Cursed Object is very interesting in Interference because a lot of times in Interference you end up wanting to have uh, your enemy models engaged at the end of the turn, which meant that uh, it was it was pretty easy for you, like because I was trying to put my models right in your engagement range to right. to cancel out Interference points, uh, and you very, very brightly... Um, uh, uh, use that as an opportunity for cursed objects. So that I think that's a combination of strategy and scheme to look out for. Is when interference is in the ta- is the strategy and cursed objects is on the table. It's a really good one to take because you'll often get set up with opportunities for it. Yeah, I was actually considering doing distract instead of cursed object, but the idea that I would have to get two conditions on you per turn uh-huh. uh, really pushed me off of that idea. So. Um, what uh, what problems did you have, and how did you overcome them? So the biggest problem I had was you killed things really well. Uh, mm-hmm. Levy is killy, and Leviticus is... I'm sorry, and um, Lazarus is killy, yeah. and the Mech Rider is killy if it gets in. It didn't actually manage to get into much of my stuff, because it right. got bogged down in that castle we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But you killed, I think, three or four of my models, and I ended up running around with only a really small pack by the end, after you killed Lilith. And I think both the Terror Tots and, and one graves. of the Slurids and Graves, exactly. You killed more than half of my stuff, so I knew I wasn't going to get interference. Luckily, the schemes I picked still work as long as you have one or two folks left on the table to do what they need to do. Uh-huh. It's still going to work. Yeah, and those, those, I mean, I think especially in a tournament where you can't just count on attrition to win because there's a time clock, having things that will get the schemes done fast uh, will go a long, long way. Uh, and can you talk about what opportunities you ended up taking and, and why? Yeah, so the biggest thing I, I saw happen was you used Leviticus to kill one of my terror tots, uh-huh. and then you activated the abomination that spawned up and so all I had to do was use the fact that he was sitting there slow 
with one of my terracotta, the other terracotta, to go in and give him cursed object. So as soon as the abomination, which is a really not a not a hard target to go in and, and do do things to, it's true, yeah, uh, to give him cursed object. And the same thing happened with Mech Rider later on, where you didn't want to take the chance of missing on manipulative against the doppelganger. So you actually went by the doppelganger and tried to tried to get close enough to do breakthrough uh, with the uh-huh. Mech Rider turn three. And all I had to do with the doppelganger was walk back over to you and give you cursed object. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Which ended up actually being probably the difference between a tie and a win for me. And then also just having seen the walls that were there and all the terrain, I think I took in the very in the list building part the opportunity, knowing that I could put slurids down, which can ignore that terrain, right. was a huge opportunity for me. Yeah, those using those, uh, I think all the terrain that was there, using that to your advantage, it, the slur, for the slurid, it kept the the walls kept the slurid safe because you had that slurid that was dropping scheme markers, and I had a bunch of models staring at you through a window, unable to get to you. Right, and if Leviticus had been able to get there the next turn by uh-huh. teleporting into the, into the last waste that was sitting in the back, he would have been able to shoot him right. easily and kill the slurred in a heartbeat. But because all your shooting was elsewhere, you weren't really able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, what was the best moment of the game for you? So I want to say that killing Levy twice was really fun, uh-huh. but that was altogether irrelevant. It sort of just forced you to put him elsewhere at the end of that turn uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, because I did put in a good amount of AP into killing him here and there. Right. Um, but I actually think my what I enjoyed most was seeing you use Vasilisa to send your Korofi probably 25 inches across the board on a turn and killing uh-huh. Lilith with the, with the Korofi. Um, but I probably shouldn't talk about what my favorite part of your actions was, but probably my favorite thing that I did was just having the slurid dancing around behind this wall. Um, and I actually have pictures that I can send to you, and you can put them oh, in yeah, the show notes yeah. with, the, with the podcast. People can just see the slurid is so far out in the middle of nowhere by himself, just like enjoying the scenery and the trees. <laughs> doopy doopy doo. Oh, is there a, some sort of combat going on? I, I hear distant sounds of combat. Oh, well, I better win the game over here. <laughs> sounds like somebody else's problem. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so what advice uh, would you have uh, for others who are playing Lilith? So what I think is super cool about Lilith is people are really afraid of her and the damage output and mm-hmm. the Tangle Shadows ability where she can rope things in or shoot herself out or send her allies out and people get really afraid of her and that leads them to putting a lot of AP into killing her. Now, it yeah. was you needed to kill her because you had to assassinate, right. but everyone always wants to kill Lilith and I think the biggest thing is to not be afraid to let her die because... If someone's going to put a ton of AP into killing her, and that's not central to your strategy or your schemes, you can use her as a distraction, basically. She can sit there and hold space for you and, uh-huh. and suck up AP of your opponents while everyone else go- goes and does what they need to do. And and I think that really happened. I mean, so I had a Korofi that was in your backfield because of all the Vasilisa tricks that I charged back to, to attack Lilith. If I had moved that Korofi, kept it moving forward, and used it to drop screen markers for breakthrough, I would have gotten the 3 VP for breakthrough, and I probably could have, in another turn or two, killed Lilith. Yeah, especially because with that Korofi there, you could still use Lazarus' ability to teleport up to that Korofi. Yeah, Corfi. yeah, yeah. Um, and, so, and, and I think I, I definitely fell in the trap of just throwing all my AP into... Because I was scared that Lilith was going to do something terrible. Right, well, if she had a chance to attack your Corfi, I'm sure she would have been able to kill it. Yeah, true. Um, but she was really there, actually, for that same purpose, of fighting off anyone coming in to do breakthrough. And so I think right. you actually did the right thing to kill her. Huh. But it's such a sink. It's such a commitment of AP to go in and kill her. Um, another thing is people forget that she has 
the ability Wicked Vines, uh, which is the one where she can give somebody rooted and do them a damage, and if they push or are moved, they take another three, which is huge against um, models like Corophy or Silurids, which have relatively low AP for high cost models. I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, um, low wounds for high cost models, um, because people are going to want to move those models, and if those models can't move, they're really useless. People get way more fixated on Tangle Shadows because it can have a really game-breaking effect and it can really change the way a game is going. Suddenly that Terratot turns into a Teddy right in your midfield and it screws up everything you're trying to do. But often people forget the Wicked Vines and it can be in certain situations, and I know it's sort of a corner case, but it can be the more useful of her two cast actions because she can stop Scheme Runners from being functional without having to kill them, just using one AP to root them in place. And if they want to move again, they're taking four damage, which is huge. Um, the last thing I would say to Lilith players is save a 7 in your hand at all times so you can move her trees. Because those trees are the biggest game-changing thing she'll do in a lot of games. She can stop things from having line of sight to her, to, to each other, right? What's great about that is if a model needs line of sight to a friendly model to do an ability, she can put up those trees. And there was one point, even though I did this out of activation order, I did this improperly because you were able to move your waif, I put trees down between Vasilisa and one of your waves yeah. to stop you having your anchor ability. Right. And you had to move the waif. So that was my bad for doing that in the wrong order. But the fact that I would have been able to deny you an anchor and forced you to deploy uh, Leviticus elsewhere would have really made a huge difference. And those Very trees, true. the ability to block line of sight, and hers are a little bit better than, I would say, Sonia's and Rasputina's because those ones can't be within one inch of another marker oh, or right. of other terrain. And hers can go anywhere, which is huge. And I would just say, saving a seven on turns where you need those trees really is a clutch thing to do. So think of the trees, save a seven. <laughs> uh, and what advice uh, would you have for others uh, playing against Leviticus? Yeah, so the biggest thing, and I think this sort of goes back to a lot of sort of the fundamentals of Malifo is you got to ask yourself at the beginning of each turn, or even each activation, is ask yourself, how can I score points with this activation, or how can I deny my opponent points? Uh, and that really worked for me because I also thought through this game and thinking about um, the schemes I was taking. You want to take schemes that you're really familiar with and schemes you can do in your sleep. Because Leviticus has so many shenanigans and so many cool tricks that he can do, you're going to get really distracted, and if you're, your schemes are ones that you don't know as well or you aren't super solid on, you're going to lose track of what you're trying to do, just trying to keep track at the same time of all the funky things that Leviticus can do. Um, so don't try to get fancy. Don't try to do anything tricksy. Just take something you know you can get and try to get as many fast points as possible, especially in a tournament setting because we only made it through turn three. Right. I think the game probably would have ended up 7-6 or 8-6 if we had gone another turn or two uh, in your favor. I think. Oh, well. Oh. Um, awesome. Well, Thank you very, very much for uh, talking about how Loth uh, gets you. Uh, any final thoughts? I can't wait to try Dreamer against Leviticus. <laughs> Hopefully Excellent. I'll be on again soon. Excellent. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs>